How's it going, guys? How are you? You're all right. Brilliant, brilliant. Guys, it's really good to see you. It's really amazing to stand back up here again. I take this as being such a massive privilege to be able to come and speak to you guys today. I don't take it lightly. I take it really seriously, but I really hope that we can kind of like work together on this one. I think it's really important that when somebody comes and gives, brings a message, people have read this before. These, these, these words have been read by you guys. I'm no expert. I'm just reading through these as well, and I'm finding things out, and God's revealing things to me that I didn't know before. So um, I want to sort of play that as being a big part of like today, today's message. This is about us kind of experiencing this together. Now, the, the word that I'm bringing is uh, from Exodus. It's going to be uh, from Exodus 5, chapter 5, uh, verse 1, and it's going to go right through to chapter 6, verse 27. Now, straight away, you see some people going, oh, this is going to be long. I promise you guys, I'm going to go in and out. I'm going to delve in and out. I'm not even going to read through the whole thing in one go because then I would hand the, the mic back over to Thomas. Plus also, Thomas has given me this message, well, this part to look at, which includes one of those ones where you have to read through the family names. And I was like, oh yeah, I see how this one works. That's great. So I'm not even, I'm not even falling for that, Thomas. We're going to, we're going to work nicely around that. It's fine. Okay. Quick recap. Okay. We've been looking through Exodus. Uh, Cherry brought an incredible word about um, when Moses went to, the, um, to God at the burning bush. So I want to recap some of these points just to make sure that we all know where we're at in the story uh, in Exodus. So basically, Moses had been to the, he had, he had uh, committed murder. He had run away. Um, he had gone live way out of town. He had then come, uh, he'd met God there uh, as a form of a burning bush. The bush never was actually on fire. It was just surrounded by flames, which is quite, kind of incredible. God told him that he was going to be on a mission. Then later on, he met Aaron, who was going to be then joining him on this mission. And they went and spoke to the Israelite leaders. Now, they, these leaders control what's happening for the Israelites while they were under the control of the Egyptians. An amazing thing was that God stayed with them through that process. They showed amazing signs, amazing wonders to, uh, to the Israelite leaders. And as a result, these leaders understood exactly that it was from God. And they fell to their knees and they worshipped God. So that's where we're at in the story. Okay, that's where we're at. Everything in this passage that we, we're about to sort of delve in and out of um, is about having faith. Really, this message today, guys, is about having faith. Um, the, the whole process of um, God leading the Israelites away from the Egyptians in itself is a story of faith. Um, God keeps promises. He doesn't break promises, and we're going to have a little look at that as well. Um, even in some situations, let's be honest, where it cannot look so great. When things are looking troublesome, issues can arise, God doesn't leave us, he sticks with a promise, and that's what we're going to look at too. So all we need is faith, right? Well, here we go. Right, story that happened recently to us, we just come back from Barcelona. What an incredible trip, and I want to start with the fact that this was an amazing trip. There was nothing wrong with the trip, it was amazing. We went to a wedding, a family wedding actually, trying to wear a kilt in 36 degree heat was the most disastrous experience of my life not what we're getting on to. Now, I, my father-in-law is an incredible man, a great man, okay? Alexander McDonald, okay? It's the most Scottish name I can think of as well. I love the fact that he's welcomed me into his family. He, is a, he suffers from something called Fredericotaxia, which means that he's in a wheelchair. He's in an electric wheelchair, and it's not stopped him doing anything. He runs a ministry over in Eastern Europe. Um, he has over, over 15 churches over there. It's not stopped him, and actually, it's, a, it's incredible what God has done through him in that chair still. But when we got to the airport... I had this big plan. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I was going to go to the airport. I was going to sit down. I was going to grab myself a coffee. Then after the coffee, we were going to get on the flight, and we are going to go on the flight to Amsterdam. We were going to go chill out in Amsterdam. I was hopefully going to find myself a really nice Heineken sitting somewhere in one of these restaurants. I was going to chill out with my wife and my brother-in-law, and we were going to have a lovely time. That was the plan. Now, when we got to Inverness Airport, they said, that can't come on the flight. Pointing at his chair. Why? 
Um, it's an electric chair which has um, a wet cell battery in it, and that's, we can't have those on flights. Now, my brother-in-law, Sean, he works for the NHS, he knows all about these chairs, and he's like, well, it's not, going, cut a long story short, it's a dry cell battery, it's absolutely fine to fly, and he proved all this. Now, he had to show this, but for about, probably about, what do you think, Sean, about half an hour, had not a clue if we were going to get to go. Not a clue. Because a man was in a wheelchair, they weren't going to let him fly. That didn't go in my plan. That was not what we were thinking of doing. Not only that, did we then get, the pl- get on the flight in the end? Great. Praise the Lord. Amazing. Okay. They then broke the chair. So when we got to the other end of it, it was then a 110-kilogram chair that had to be pushed. Then they lost his bed bars for had to get in and out of bed. So he couldn't get in and out of bed on his own. Then they lost his transfer that helps him get from the chair into a bed. They had to, we had to hire wheelchair for him when we got to Barcelona, dealing with another language. Now, they were amazing over there. They did an incredible job, but we had to pay for a hire of that, pay for the delivery of it, bring it all across. This is for a six-day trip, guys. <laughs> yeah. On the way back, sorry, you can't fly with a broken chair. It's a wet cell battery. It's not a wet cell battery. It's a dry cell battery. It's fine. This went on and on. Guys, basically, this was the story. It wasn't how we planned it. Did we have a great trip? Yes. But did it go the way I planned it to go, the way that Sean thought it was going to go? Not even close. Not even close. You see, sometimes, guys, we deal with situations where they don't quite go to plan. We see in chapter 5, I'm going to read just this this little part here, okay? Uh, So this has come from Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with the plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, let the people of the land are, are, are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day, and this is the point I want to read, the same day Pharaoh gave um, this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making the bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, uh, but re- uh, require them to take the same number of bricks uh, as before. Oh my gosh, right, let's explain this a little bit, okay? Because this is a bit, when I read through it, I was like, okay, and taking the straw out, what's the big deal? Okay, well, basically, guys, the bricks that they, they used to use um, was based around the idea of a fibrous composite, okay? The straw was the bit that held it together, all right? If you didn't have that, it crumbles. It's the same way as in nowadays we have concrete bridges, but it's not just concrete. We have steel inside those. Why? Because steel can bend and take strain. At the same time, concrete can be compressed and hold together. You take the straw out of the brick, the brick doesn't work. So actually what he was doing is he was purposely giving them a challenge that they knew they had to then follow up on. It's not just saying, oh, well, that's a little part of the process. You need a little bit of straw in it. No, the straw makes it work. So by saying they're not going to get any straw, they had no choice but to go and search the straw out in the same time as they were meant to be making the bricks. Okay, now, here's the point. How do you think Moses felt at this point? He had just been through the process of going and seeing a bush that was on fire but wasn't on fire. God had spoken to him. He'd turned his, his staff into a snake. He'd spoken to leaders. He'd met Aaron. All of these things had happened, and it was win, 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 fold. Do you ever think of it like that? He had won. He'd won again. He'd won again, fold. Suddenly, he had gone and done exactly what God asked him to do. Exactly what God asked him to do, 
yet it all fell apart, and it didn't go the way he planned at all. See, how many times do we make a plan, and we literally watch it unravel in front of us? My nan is from Yorkshire, well, she was from Yorkshire, uh, she passed away years ago, but she was the most incredible cook. And if anybody knows anything about Yorkshire, what's the best thing that comes out of Yorkshire when it comes to savory cooking? Yorkshire puddings. Oh my gosh, they were to die for. They were amazing. Absolutely incredible. Perfect texture, the perfect consistency, the best taste. She used to make them big enough that you could put your meal inside it. I was in heaven. This is the best thing ever. If anything's good about food, it was that. Loved it. Watched her as a child, how you make them. Watched her do it. Mixed it with her. Worked with her all the way through the process. So when me and Ruth got married and she said, let's, let's, do a, let's do a roast, I was like, I'm doing the Yorkshire puddings. I've seen this done. I know how this works. I know how to make a good one because my nan's from Yorkshire. The connection's poor, really, isn't it? So I said, yeah, okay, right. I'm going to make it. So I made, the, I made the mix, made the batter, made that perfect. Absolutely grand, okay? I literally made Scottish pancakes. <laughs> that is what I made. They were flat. You could launch them, okay? It would knock a child out. They were absolutely rock solid. I don't understand what went wrong to this day. Somebody has told me since that I opened the oven door because I was excited to see what they would look like, and it ruined everything. I didn't realize that was an issue, but it was apparently. The point is, I had seen the whole process right through to the end, and I'd pictured the outcome, but actually, I didn't have all that it took to be able to produce the goods. I didn't have everything ready. You see, in verse 6, this is Moses Yorkshire pudding moment. All right, that's what it is. Okay, because he thought he knew exactly what to do. He did exactly what God said. He did exactly what God said. He didn't stray away from the path. Okay, he did exactly what God said. God told him to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people leave for, uh, for this ceremony. But yet it all didn't go right at all. Far from it. It went pretty wrong. So actually, Pharaoh actually increased the work exponentially, like we looked at. See, this is the first test of Moses' faith. This is the point we're coming to. Moses did exactly what he was asked, but actually he made things 10 times worse for the people he was trying to help. That doesn't make any sense. Why would God let that happen? He'd set everything up. He'd brought the burning bush. He'd shown it. He'd spoken through it. He'd met Aaron. He'd actually gone to the Israelite leaders. They had understood. They'd seen signs and wonders. They worshiped God. He was like, this is a win. We're all the way. This is going to be easy. All I'm going to do is going to, just going to go rock up straight up to the Pharaoh and say, let my people come with me. And he would have said, absolutely no bother, Moses. That's perfect. That was what was going to happen. But this happened. Now, from a human point, a human perspective, how do you think Moses felt at that point? If it's anything like if it had been me in the same situation, I would have felt terrible. I mean, not only had I not gone to plan for me, but I'd actually made something really difficult for an entire nation of people. I don't know how that felt. But what Moses does next is massive. And this is the main lesson in this passage. You see, Moses, I'm going to read this nice and slow, and I'm going to come back to it, all right? Moses didn't try and fix things himself. Instead, he went straight back to God. Moses didn't try and fix things himself. He went straight back to God. Now, he could have run around. He might have gone and seen the leaders again. So, guys, I'm really, really sorry. I don't know how that happened. I'm going to go back to Pharaoh. I'm going to go speak to him again. I'm going to see if I can work it out. Maybe I said it in the wrong way. He could have done all those things. But as the passage reads, verse 6, he goes straight back to God. Straight back. See, verse 22 and verse 23. Okay, I'm just going to have a wee read of that one. Reading back over. It's on the page. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. Uh, There we go. 
Okay, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Does it sound like Moses is happy in that situation? No. When he went back, he really, really vented his burdens. He vented his burdens in full to God. Guys, this is the challenge that I really want to think about. I'm so often the culprit, and I'm speaking about me, I'm not pointing this out. I'm so often the culprit of trying to organize things in a way that I can bring things to God. And even if it's a problem, I've always tried a bunch of other steps first to try and fix the problem. And then I've come to God and said, God, I'm still screwing this up. What can I do? But actually, this is where we can learn from the passage, guys, because Moses went straight away. I've got this wrong. Where's God? God, this is going really wrong. How many of us can truthfully sit here and say, when those moments have arisen, you've gone straight back to God. And if you have done, please come and teach me because I don't get this right. I still try to put them into manageable piles of problems for God to sort out because somehow I believe that God can't deal with my problems in one go. What a lie. That's not true at all. He's got it covered. Why do we have to worry about bringing worries? We don't have to worry about bringing worries. That's the whole reason why he asked us to bring worries in the first place, to eradicate worries. We're not to carry them. It's never ours to carry. It was not our burden. You see, this is it. You've got to come to God broken. It's fine. It's not going to hurt him. He's not going to get upset over that. He's upset because you're upset, but he can fix it. Vent your troubles because it's honest. Why do we try and hide the way we feel when we stand in front of God Almighty himself, who knows exactly how you feel anyway? When you say it out loud, it makes no sense. But you do it anyway. Come to him honest. Come to him in truth. Come to him with no front. The front is the thing that's false. Come in openness. This is where God works. This is where God teaches. This is where God reaches. This is where God heals people. Is in the openness and the honesty of coming to him and going, God, I'm broken. I cannot do this myself. I'm done. I'm so done. I can't do this on my own. See, often we'll pray for things like, Lord, will you teach me patience? Will you teach me to be patient? Will you teach me kindness? Will you teach me hospitality? Will you teach me faithfulness? Will you teach me self-control? The list goes on. Will you teach me these things? Do we let him actually teach those things or we just ask him for it? We need to expect things to go wrong to open the door to the lesson that will bring us freedom to allow it to become right. If we don't let God give us a situation where we're challenged, we are never going to have a chance to build and learn from these experiences to be able to gain patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, hospitality, and the list continues. We have to have that moment where God takes control, but we have to then count on something called faith. Faith is the thing that can be a challenge. Faith is a process. Faith is not one step. Faith is a process where we allow God to lead us, leaving behind our belief that we are still in control. We weren't in control anyway. This is a brilliant picture. I love this, right? A goldsmith. I want you to picture a goldsmith, okay? Goldsmith's amazing, okay? A jeweler's an incredible person. A goldsmith just deals with the gold, okay? And you think, well, that's kind of obvious in the name. It is, okay? All metals have a melting point. Okay, it's kind, of, it's kind of obvious. Okay, most of them start from about 600 degrees Celsius and work their way up. Okay, there's something special about gold. See, gold only melts at 1,064 degrees Celsius. 1,064. 1,063? 
It's still in a solid format. It's not even soft to touch, if you ever wanted to touch a 1,000-degree object. But it's not even soft to touch. If you poke it, it doesn't move. It doesn't change. You see, if you take that to 1,065, it goes dull and it can never be polished. If you take it one degree over its point, its perfection, it will never work. It will never become a beautiful ring. It will never become a brooch. It's done. You've gubbed it. You have to chuck it. There's no point. 1,065 degrees ruins it. See, they know exactly, the goldsmith knows exactly when it's 1,064 degrees. They test and test and test until it's absolutely perfect. But you know what? It's not even everything in this picture. When we find gold, it's impure, right? You find it in the ground. It's a nugget that arrives either down a stream or in the ground. It's not perfect. It's impure. It carries dirt and minerals from other areas. It's all inside. It's ingrained in this little nugget that they find. Yeah? It's worth a lot of money because the gold there is important, but everything else, the other minerals, they're not so important. Actually, far from it. They're a problem. So it goes through this process. Okay? When we take the, when we were a goldsmith, okay, you heat the material up. And when you get it to 1,064 degrees, the goldsmith skims it. And he takes a brush over the surface and connected to the brush are all the tiny bits of minerals. Then what he does is he starts the process all over again. He skims the top of the surface. He skims the surface again. He brings it and makes sure, because obviously time the brush touches it, the brush brings it down to 1,063. It doesn't work. He's got to bring it back up again, skims the surface. And every time he does that, the minerals work their way to the top. The minerals come to the surface. The imperfections rise to the top where people can see it. This is the key feature. How does the goldsmith know when he's got it right? When the gold is perfect, he can see his own face in it. That's the measurement. It's nothing electronic. It's no clever digital data that they take on board. He looks into it, and when he can see his own face, it's done. It's a perfect piece of gold. It's a piece of gold that can become something beautiful where they can change into a ring. It can become a brooch. It can be something that will blow somebody's mind when they look at it as it shines in the light. If a goldsmith doesn't have a chance to do that, every single nugget of mineral in there is a weak fracture point that will fold and break the object and it will never be an object again. Now let's take ourselves and think about the same situation. Imagine that God is that goldsmith right now. Imagine God is the goldsmith and he has got to skim that material off, but to get you to heat, to get you to temperature, he's got to put you in the fire to see what happens, to bring those minerals to the surface so he can skim them off and get you to a place that you can do something good for him. Anybody who steps out and tries to do that at 1,063 degrees is going to experience one thing, fracture. They're going to crumble at something because that imperfection, that bit of mineral is going to stop them being successful. You see, when we look at it from Moses' point of view, this whole experience, this faith story is exactly that. God is just about to get him to his first point of 1,064 degrees. He just took his first opportunity to... Do you know what? It's a story of delight and happiness. Why? Because it's the perfect teaching of looking at somebody turning to God straight away. That was God's opportunity to skim. Man, we look at this every time. I read this the first time and I was like, this is a disaster. It's not a disaster at all. See, the purer we are to what God wants, the more solid and beautiful we become. The dirt and gold is a weak point, as we said before. Moses' faith, though, God just gave him a little chunk at a time to make it more purified, to be able to see more of God's face in the way that Moses acted. 
This gives us just what we need, not for the whole journey, but just the next step. Do you see that? If we got it all at once, we would fold anyway because we're still impure. God gives it in a little chunk and then a little chunk and every one he's skimming just a little bit more away until actually when the real challenge comes, you're shining bright already. There's nothing to worry about because you're pure. You're good to go. Now this process, you might wonder, is like, how does the goldsmith know when it's done? He'll keep going until it's done. There is no time limit. There is not a magical number. If you need the help, you need that help from God, he will keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And he can see it coming to the surface. Like, just one more time, pal. Just take the challenge again, man. I'm giving it in front of you. It's right there. You take that and I can take that away from you. One more. You got it. You got this, right? Come on, go for it. Go for the challenge. Go for the challenge. Brilliant. Got it. Fantastic. That's never coming back. And every single one is that chance of him saying, that's it done. It's never coming back. Okay, chapter six. This is the point where God gets in, okay? Okay, chapter six. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, and he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out from his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I said, do not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. You see, this is the bit that I love, okay? Because what happens is it clarifies who the burden is on. It was never at any point on Moses. When Moses came back and said, God, I've got a problem. This has not gone to plan. The first thing that God said was not, he didn't talk around the story. Because of my mighty hand, he took straight away and said, this was never you, Moses. Because of my mighty hand, not because of your mighty hand, because of my mighty hand. Moses isn't even mentioned in that part of the passage. It didn't even say Moses. Nothing was in Moses' power. It didn't matter at all. If we go on to verse 12, it mentions the fact that he's a little bit worried, the fact that he has a speech impediment. It states in some Bibles that it's a stutter. It didn't even matter because he was, God was just saying, it's me, Moses. It's me. I'm skimming you to help me get through this, but it is me doing it. I'm control. You see, I think we often wrestle with that point. How often do we still try to hold on to some of the burdens? Sometimes we have this feeling where we want to be busy, double busy in some cases, all right? It's got to be a situation where we feel that we're holding on to something, saying, no, it's really important that I look like I'm doing something in this situation. And actually dropping at his feet is really hard. You see, sometimes we have, we have to think about the whole lifestyle, we can take this and transfer it directly into our own lives, right? Okay, in, verse, uh, in Matthew verse 11, chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, it says the fact that his, his burden is light. Let me read it to you because I think it's lovely, okay? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It says it right there how we should do it. God is saying, stop it. Stop carrying it yourself. Your burden was never yours to carry. Come broken. I'm waiting. I want to wipe those tears away because it's my burden, not yours. You tell me and I'll help. To have faith means you trust God with everything. You see, faith is not hoping that God has you in a situation. It's knowing that he does. 
Faith is not hoping that God has you in a situation, it's knowing that he does. God's promise to us can never be broken. Over time, I think the word promise has just fallen apart a little bit because of our inability to be able to keep a promise. Humans have ruined that word, it's nothing to do with God. It's become diluted over time. Promise is this, a declaration or assurance that one will do something or that a particular thing will happen. Okay, will is unbreakable, it will happen. It not it might happen, it could happen, it should happen, it will happen. It's an oath or a contract, but as humans, we fail to meet the high standard and sometimes our promises are broken. I can't help it, I'm gonna let somebody down. I do let people down, I have to, because I'm human and I make mistakes. Every single person in this room has let somebody down before. We don't build our lives on the idea that that's the case, but that is true, we do. We let people down. God's promise can never be broken. See, God doesn't stumble in the same hurdles. And as Moses is experiencing this, he's not stumbling. He's stumbling on blocks that God doesn't have. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible because I found this because it really helped me understand the idea of God's promise because this is such a key point of Exodus of understanding what a promise is. So this is Romans 4, verse 13 from the Message Bible because I just like it. Okay, that famous promise that God uh, gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives, they only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract uh, drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. Man, I love that. I never thought of it like that. You deal with a promise, you deal with a contract. I have to give something to you in this contract. I've got a mobile phone contract. I have to give them money every month and then they hold up their side of the bargain. If I stop giving them money, they stop promising. That's a contract. That's not a promise. What God is saying is that he can do this. We're just, we've just got to sit on the sideline of that. He's got it. We don't have to give him anything to guarantee the promise back. He's giving it to us anyway. See, we can't interfere with God's plan. It isn't something that we could fathom, write down, or comprehend anyway. We have nothing but faith as our contract, our sole connection to our one creator. Moses was faced with failure. He could run again, disappeared off into the desert, but he didn't. He stayed and brought it to God. I want you to look at the situations that we all win. Everybody has one. What do we do in that moment where it all seems to fall back and fall apart? Are we the people that stand and look at that situation and go, don't worry, I've got this, I can fix it, I'm going to be double busy, I'm going to fix this problem? Or do we turn to God straight away and say, God, something's gone slightly amiss, I don't understand what's happening, but I know you know it because it's your plan anyway and you promised me that this would work out. Do we actually turn to God in that situation and say, God, can you help now? I'm, I, I'm out of ideas, this is, this is me coming to you straight away. And watch what God does in that situation. 
Guys, what I want you to do for free second now, can I get you to close your eyes? I want to ask you a question. And I'm going to ask myself this question at the same time. What yoke are you carrying right now? What burden is on your shoulders right now? What yoke are you carrying? What are your burdens? Now I'm going to ask this. What did God promise you? What did God promise you in that situation? And if you don't know yet, ask him. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to bring them to God right now. This is not for you to carry anymore. This is God's. If you're worried about something, then bring it to him right now. I'm just going to say a short prayer over this part of it. Father God, I just pray that all of us here trust purely in your promise to us. Not a contract, but a holy promise. Whatever situation there is right now, however short term or long term, Lord, that we take them to your feet right now because they're not ours to carry. They never were ours to carry. They were a burden that, were, that we've put on ourselves because of a situation where we need to have faith, faith in you. Father God, will you take these from us now and help us to trust, help us to have faith. Amen. Thanks, guys. Okay, so my final point to bring up here. Did Moses lead the people out of Egypt? looking long-term in the Exodus. Did it happen? Did he lead them out? Yeah, it did. Yeah, he did. See, at this point in the story, Moses never believed it could ever happen. It had to have got to a point where he was unsure. But he went back to God at the time that was the most important, where he was so unsure and he was so new. He was so full of impurities. He was that gold nugget. He was nowhere near that jewel yet. And he came to him at the right time and said, God, help me now, please. And as a result of it, if you look at the amazing things that then Moses continued to do through Exodus, right through to the point of the Israelites leaving Egypt. That's amazing. See, God knew the whole story. Moses didn't. But Moses was obedient 
was a faithful servant and turned to God at the time that he needed them the most. You see, God knows something. God knows that challenge follows faith. You cannot have it the other way around. You must have the faith for the challenge to happen and then you're ready to take it on. Today, friends, change follows faith for us. It has to, it always will. I'll leave you with this little sentence that we want to remember from before. Faith is not hoping that God is in a situation. It's knowing that he is. Faith is not hoping that God is in a situation. It's knowing that he is. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers.